Thanks, Ben. Good morning, guys. Welcome to Hiawatha Church. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, thanks for coming today. If you're new to our church or newish, uh, thanks for coming back. Uh, glad to see you all. Good to see you guys from up here as well. I haven't preached for five weeks, so it feels good and weird uh, to be back, but hope you've had a good uh, summer up to this point. And um, did want to say, too, actually, before we dive into First uh, Timothy, which is our sermon series right now for the summer, that um, since uh, we are here in the middle of July, it's been a while I've been up here as well, but um, we like to say uh, midsummer sometimes because historically we have a lot of visitors in the summer. Um, that's not always the case, I guess, but I think just historically it's been, been true for us. It's kind of always true. Um, but coming out of a pandemic and having some, some relational turnover there and, and new people coming all the time, we just want to make sure, even though I know this might go without saying, that we uh, would love to talk with you and, and meet you and help you feel more at home here. Um, it is just a weird time for life and for churches and for ministry. So if you uh, would love to meet with me or uh, Pastor Peter or uh, another one of our leaders here, um, Emily or Leah or someone else, please don't hesitate to do that. People sometimes think we're too busy for that and so they don't reach out, but we're not. We, would lo- we, just, we love doing that and we want to show as good of hospitality as we can by answering questions that you may have about our church or uh, things, like, things like that. So, and we probably will start our... Uh, up again our new to Hiawatha lunches, which we do monthly. We'll start those pretty soon, uh, if not sooner, probably in, than September, in September. So if you're new and haven't been to one of those, it's just a, kind of a 10-minute quick thing where we give you coffee and a pastry and just share our, our big things uh, as a church. So uh, keep an eye out for those as well if that would, if that would help you. Uh, so, but uh, with all that said, uh, let's dive back into 1 Timothy. Uh, as I said, we've had, um, I think, five different preachers in five weeks which is pretty cool. Uh, we've had a lot of um, other, others of our um, lay and vocational uh, pastors here preaching, which has been great. So, uh, but kind of appropriate as well, we've been in a pastoral letter. Uh, if you're not aware of these letters of the New Testament, there are three of them. We call them the pastoral letters because they're written by the Apostle Paul as a pastor to uh, his kind of protege pastors uh, named Timothy and Titus. Uh, this one, of course, uh, written to Timothy is first of two letters to him. So, um, lots to do with what it means to be a pastor, what the church is. Uh, one of the guiding things he says uh, that Peter looked at a couple of weeks ago is what um, behavior should look like when the church is gathered. So what church gathering should maybe look like, uh, what uh, different types of pastoral care uh, efforts should look like in the church. Uh, more on that in, in the coming weeks here in chapter 5. Uh, we looked at a lot of things, really. It would take almost just a whole sermon to recap it, so I'm not going to do that. But one of our guiding and interpretational principles, just to remind you of this, or just to say it if you're new, is when you talk about pastors, you inherently talk about Jesus because he is called a pastor. He is uh, called a pastor before people are called pastors in the Bible. He calls himself the chief shepherd of our souls in John 10. This is actually a theme that stretches back into the Old Testament as well, when, when leaders are talked about, priests and so forth. But um, when you talk about pastors, you talk about Jesus. He is the chief overseer, the chief pastor, and the chief elder of our souls. So although this book has more to say than just that, it highlights the role of pastor, the importance of the church, and uh, again, right kinds of behavior in the church. But in the end, the gospel of Jesus Christ is, uh, we would say here, the bullseye of this book, and Jesus himself as the ultimate reality uh, behind pastorhood. All right, so we might look at pastors by experience or definition or whatever and say, uh, pastors are broken people, they're sinners. Some of you may have come from uh, broken backgrounds where you've been sinned against by a pastor. And so we want to acknowledge that pastors are very imperfect, not to excuse it, but to say that under shepherds and pastors are sinners, just like all of us. Um, 
but there is one who isn't. Uh, There is a chief shepherd who has guided you and has offered to guide you and feed you and care for you in the perfect, sinless, eternal way, and and that is Jesus Christ. And so that, that is, I mean, speaking again for all of our pastors, that's really what we want for you guys in this book, is to um, go deeper than just the surfacey questions of what is the church and, what, and who are pastors and so forth, even though it's very important to do that, and clearly Paul wants us to, God wants us to hear that here in this letter. We're going to do that today, um, but, but more than that too. So, all right, let's uh, dive in. Today is, we're going to look at this uh, encouragement Paul has for Timothy, his um, his protege, his disciple, who is, remember, uh, pastoring in a church as a new pastor, a young pastor, probably in his mid-30s, but pastoring people who are older than him. Do not neglect the gift. And we'll, we'll come back to that. But this is from 1 Timothy 4, 11 to 16. Please turn in a Bible you have or a phone app if you want. Uh, this will be on screen here, though, um, as we go through it um, per the usual. All right, verse 11. Paul's kind of picking up from last week when uh, Caleb preached a similar uh, stream of thought here, but verse 11, he says, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. All right, so uh, a couple angles today. Uh, For those of you who call Hiawatha home and have been here more than like two weeks, uh, this will not be new, Um, but we're going to look at uh, this passage kind of off what I was saying before uh, by way of introduction from a human angle, but also a divine one. Uh, This is clearly a a passage for pastors and, and for leaders. And so some of you in the room will um, kind of on a first-tiered uh, basis be um, the, the initial recipients of that, right? Uh, all of you, though, I think Christians can, can hear some things. I'll, I'll make that clear as we go. Um, principles of grace and different things like that. But then also we'll, we'll talk a lot about Christ as, as the ultimate point here, too. All right? Let's start, though, with uh, the, I think the vibe that Paul kind of comes across as here, at least at, on, on first glance, is pastors, hear me out. That, that's the vibe we get. Verse 11 Paul says, command and teach these things. Uh, a pastor's job is to do that. But these things, uh, don't get too hung up on that. It's probably referring to everything he's set up to this point. It could be referring to what he's about to say as well. Probably a bit of a both and here. But he's been saying over and over again, pastors, teach good doctrine. Teach the right things. Teach accurate gospel theology. Teach what it means to live in the spirit and not by the flesh or the works of the hands or by willpower but teach what it means to live in the Spirit. Teach what it means to love the church, the, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, deeply. And also clarity, uh, kind of by extension, clarity on what isn't good doctrine. Remember how we started the whole book in chapter 1, verse 3. His, his basic job number one was uh, expose false teaching. So, uh, you know, go in and set up your office and get your books out, but then Uh, and and set up your desk, but then go out and expose false teachers because there's false teaching, there's wrong theology being propagated in the church in Ephesus. And I'm leaving you behind, I'm I'm sending you out, and as has the council of elders here, and laying their hands on you, you've been chosen to pastor. 
uh, to teach, but also to expose what is false teaching and what is kind of half-truth theology. All right, so as we've been saying a lot in this series, that that is uh, a pastor's primary job, is to teach and preach the Bible and to protect against bad theology. In the spirit of how Jesus says to Peter after his resurrection, feed my sheep. This is what pastors are to do. Peter was the first pastor, essentially, human pastor. Feed my sheep. And so the idea being, as Jesus feeds us salvifically with his body and blood, so do pastors minister as an outflow and a reflection of that greater idea. We nourish the church with the body and blood of Jesus through preaching, through teaching, and through administering communion. There's more to say about a pastor's job than that, but historically and biblically, it's pretty impossible to miss, though we're pretty good at trying to miss that sometimes uh, in culture and in churches and in our job descriptions and so forth. But uh, we're not here, we would say, by God's grace, but it's, it's easy to do. The Bible's pretty clear. Uh, pastors need to center their jobs on the word. Uh, the, the passage ended with hearers, right? Pastors have hearers. That, that implies we talk, we speak, we exhort, we teach, and we do it in the spirit. We do it as voice pieces of God, as those who, again, serve as extensions or outflows of the idea that Jesus wants to feed us with his body and blood. All right, verse 13 also uh, kind of picks up on this. It says, devote yourself, pastors, to, uh, to Scripture. Give yourself completely over to publicly reading Scripture, to exhortation, which is the same thing as preaching, and to teaching. And so again, notice the, the word-centeredness to a pastor's job. He's saying, immerse yourselves, Timothy. Immerse yourselves, pastors, in preaching and teaching and reading the Bible. Jump carefree into the pool of these things. Um, also, if you guys have read the book of Acts, remember back in Acts 6, where the first, after Jesus rises from the dead, and the first pastors are the, the apostles, the disciples of Jesus kind of become the first pastors of the church in Jerusalem, are identified for that role, uh, kind of step into it. Um, it's, it's so important for Peter and the apostles to do these things that they staff out other ministry jobs to deacons so that they as pastors had more time for teaching and preaching and prayer. That's from Acts 6. And so um, kind of a helpful paradigm there to look at if that's new or uh, if, you, it's, if it's been a while, I encourage you to go back and read that. Um, but it's so important for them to spend time teaching, speaking, proclaiming the gospel for the sake of the church and the lost person who's not yet a Christian, um, that they kind of dole out other ministry jobs to, uh, to the first deacons, uh, of, of which Stephen is a part, if you know his story. Uh, my arc, so a lot of you guys know this, but my arc as a pastor here at Hiawatha has sort of taken that uh, path as well. In the very beginning when I planted this church with um, 25 others from Hope Community, our sending church, um, I, church planners kind of have to do everything because there's like, you know, no one else really, or there's a, there's a lot of other people, but, you know, you're kind of just there, and you're, you're uh, always present, you're kind of leading things, and overseeing, and, um, you know, basically everything except, like, women's ministry stuff, I was there, you know, um, but that just eventually, and not quickly, I would say, but eventually changed in a healthy way, like, as to today, like, we're 15 years old, um, far and away, my number one job is to preach, and to teach, and to disciple other people, and that's, you know, I, I have other things on my job description, but um, there's actually a lot, like a lot not on there that you might think would be. Um, I'm not going to go into that uh, today, but if you want to see it, you can see it, I guess. It's whatever. Um, maybe it's kind of boring, but I don't know. It's, it's a public thing. 
But my arc as kind of a pastor has taken this as well. Uh, is, um, and we have different pastors that kind of focus on different things here, and it's not all, always all the same for every pastor, but my arc has kind of taken that uh, thing too. All right, but that, then he says in, in verse, so going back a bit, or one verse to verse 12, this is really interesting. He also says, let no one despise you for your youth. So remember, Timothy is uh, probably in his mid-30s, maybe early 30s, um, which may sound, you know, kind of normal for a pastor starting out. I was 28. Um, you know, not, not that that's, maybe it's apples and oranges, I don't know. But uh, it's, people start churches when they're younger. But maybe, but that, I mean, culturally speaking, that was quite young. And he was certainly, uh, the point here is he was pastoring people who were older than him. And that can be a hard thing to do. Um, pastoring people who are older than you, it's, hard for them sometimes to see you as a pastor. It's, it's easier for them to see you more as just kind of a son, you know, who they kind of encourage and pat you on the back and say, good job, son, and, and, or whatever. And that's fine. That's good. But it, it's harder sometimes for people that are older uh, in age, not all the time, there's exceptions to that, but to see you actually as their spiritual authority. So Paul's saying, let no one despise you for being young. And then he says, this is how you'll be able to kind of help with that. You, uh, this is how the despising might be harder to do or, or, or go away, is set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity, which is another way of saying, Timothy, your character is just as important as your gifts and abilities. Your character as a person, your character as a Christian, as a pastor in this role, is just as important as your gifts and abilities, if not more. Uh, many have said before, uh, some, some version of this, that sometimes a pastor's gifts outpace his character. Uh, I'm listening to a podcast right now on this, uh, which I won't go into in depth, um, but it's fascinating. It's looking at these different trends in the American church in the past couple of few decades or whatever, and how this has happened sometimes, how a pastor's gift can outpace his character, and how that eventually leads to very toxic environments and uh, dysfunctional environments and um, eventually churches coming crashing down um, but sometimes churches look the other way when that happens because of the fruit of the gifting of the pastor they say well we can excuse uh, some major character flaws because look what happens when he leads and look what happens when he commands a room and people are coming to Christ people are being baptized the church is growing so we can overlook that what this is saying though I think is we shouldn't do that that would be wrong to do that would set up the church for uh, a massive, eventually, like a future fall uh, and future di uh, unhealth. Character is a must. This is why Paul says that pastors should be, not be recent converts in chapter 3 because of pride. Uh, a pastor should not be, oh, they're just saved. And then if they brought in the role, they can think, wow, you know, um, no one else gets this role right away, and they can be proud. Paul says that, shouldn't, that should not be the case. They should be a, a believer for a while so that arrogance won't take over, kind of cloud their heart. My old pastor and mentor uh, back at Holt um, always told me this as I was getting ready to plant Hiawatha 15 years ago. He said, uh, and many have said this over the years in different thing, uh, contexts, but he said, Chris, the, the greatest gift you can give your future church is your own personal Christ-like character. The greatest gift you can give Hiawatha is your own personal Christ-like character. And, and by that he meant, not that there aren't other gifts, of course, but by that he meant a simple life lived in the freedom of the gospel, a life of contentment in Christ, a healthy marriage, humility, throughout this passage, purity, and love. And so the idea is, you, uh, he, he would say to me, your gifts won't mean anything to the church without them. Uh, it sounds a lot like 1 Corinthians 13, uh, doesn't it? Which, which says, 
that we are, without love, we are noisy gongs and clanging cymbals, uh, no matter how strong or miraculous our spiritual gifts are. People have to, you know, hold their ears and like, oh, that hurts. I was, I was in Asheville, North Carolina on the 4th this year, and we were surprised how close fireworks were to our hotel. It was literally right outside, and it hurt. Like, I thought, I was covering my son's ears, and I'm like, my, it's my ears are bleeding. I need four hands, you know, but maybe I should have, well, whatever. It just, I, I was like hurting for days. That's probably a, probably a bad thing, but um, some of you are like, you see a doctor. It's, I think it's fine now, I think. Okay. Anyway, but, we, but, but if we don't have love, we're noisy gongs, clanging cymbals, no matter how strong or miraculous our gifts. So, all right, so let me kind of go back and, and just say, I, I have, um, we've been doing this a bit in this series. I think there is a challenge for pastors here. So I want to talk to all you pastors in the room or future pastors. Some of you are considering being a pastor. You're kind of in the pipeline. We've talked about this. You know who you are. Uh, Peter, you're in the room. You are a pastor. I don't know who else is here on the overseer team. It might just be us. So Peter, here we go. Let's just kind of, no. Um, but no, I, I have a challenge here uh, for pastors, but also a grace in this for all of us, uh, pastor and non-pastor, even Christian or non-Christian. I'll get back to that in a second. First, a note to pastors and future pastors. Let me start here with verse 16. Uh, Paul says, The scriptures say to us pastors, keep a close watch on yourselves and on the teaching. Watch your life. Or as he says in the book of 2 Timothy, same thing, different language. He says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. So this is a strong thing Paul has. It's on repeat in the Bible. Watch your life. Watch what you think. Watch your body. Watch your, the rhythms of your life. Uh, and then watch the teaching. Watch the scriptures. Oh, Spence, you're here too, by the way. I just realized that. You're on sabbatical, though. Are you still a pastor? Um, anyway, the, uh, so the point is, watch those two things. It, it, we say this is to our receipt. We talk about this a lot, right, guys? In our, in our meetings, we, we quote, literally quote this when we meet as, as pastors. It uh, doesn't matter the context. How are we doing in this area? Watch your life. Watch the, watch the teaching Teaching is not arbitrary. It's not secondary. Uh, Christians live like this all the time. Pastors who are misguided lead like this all the time. That Bible is secondary uh, to other things. And it just can't be. It has to be primary. Um, watch the teaching. And then in verse 14, do not neglect the gift you've been given by God. So I, I would add to this, uh, pastors, you and I don't deserve the role we're in. But we have it somehow strangely mysteriously nonetheless and so let's not putz around with it but let's wield it for the sake of the health of the church and the destruction of darkness uh, pastors slay your sin love your wives cling to the cross preach the word of the gospel and be an example of faith always remembering that all things are given absolutely nothing in life is earned and and as paul says here immerse let's immerse ourselves Jump into the deep end of the pool of, of these things every day. All right? Then the, um, the grace for all of us here, pastors and non-pastors in the room, Christian and non-Christian, really. Um, the grace here, I, I want to use, uh, through the lens here of Timothy's confirmation as a pastor, um, I'm going to use that as kind of a lens here. Um, the grace to all of us is, is this. Like Timothy was given the gift to pastor by God, and then this is, this is really important. This might seem inconsequential. But through the laying on of the hands of other Christians, 
Through that, Timothy was called into the pastorate, right? But like that, picking up here, you and I have the gift of salvation through the laying on of the hands of Jesus Christ alone. Not the works of your hands, but by the hands of the crucified Son of God. So in other words, this passage is about objective salvation. Objective meaning outside of you, salvation. Salvation came from someone else. Someone else's decision and choice to identify you for salvation, to come your way to lay his loving hands on you and to identify you as a son or a daughter of the king, to welcome you as a former enemy to his table, his banqueting table, to bring you into his home, his kingdom. This passage is about objective salvation, not self-empowerment. Do you see how that theme comes through? How Timothy becomes a pastor here? See, churches and denominations, uh, and I know that there's different ways churches do this, denominations do this, different strands of Christianity historically have done this, but basically, the church has always said, you don't identify yourself as a pastor, somebody else identifies you as a pastor. This always happens. I didn't, I didn't identify myself for this role. My previous church said, Chris, you should do this, and they figuratively laid their hands, you know, by way of a membership vote. A church assessment center assessed me for the role. Every, every pastor here has been, if you're a member of this church, has been laid hands on by the church and said, yes, Peter should be a pastor. Spencer should be a pastor. Caleb, you're here too, Caleb. Sorry, I missed you before. Uh, should be a pastor, right? Do you see how it comes from someone else? Just like your salvation comes from someone else, not you. Do you see the gospel in that? Everything is about it. It trickles like a rock into a still lake. It sends ripple effects into every nook and cranny of creation. This is not just about pastors. This is about you and what it, how you got to where you are now as a Christian. Not the works of your hands. Like a pastor is assessed and called, maybe voted, Salvation is given. Uh, look at what the Bible says elsewhere. In, so in 1 Timothy 4, it says, don't neglect the gift of being called to be a pastor. But Hebrews 2 says, do not neglect such a great salvation. See, same language. Some of you in the room, just a few of you, should not neglect the role of being called to care for Jesus' bride. Don't neglect it. All of you, if you're a Christian, even if you're not a Christian yet, but all of you who are Christians should not neglect the fact that you're saved by God's grace alone, not by your works. Don't neglect it. Don't spit on it. Don't grow bored with it. Always utilize it and draw nourishment from it. Don't neglect Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that is where I want to turn next to kind of spin off on this a bit. Um, this second piece, if I were to, you know, uh, put a phrase to it, is our, so uh, our, speaking very broadly, all of us, our tendency to, dis, to despise leaders uh, in Christ. And so I want to start by saying that um, although Paul says here, let no one despise you, he also says elsewhere, same guy, uh, other side of the coin, in Galatians 1.10, he says, am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so it's kind of like, which is it? 
you know, Paul, are we, are, we gonna, are we supposed to be like never despised or always despised? Uh, of course, the answer is probably somewhere uh, in the middle. Anyone who's trying to lead will be, will be despised. Um, so pastors from 1 Timothy 4 are to work for peace with others. You know, they are to live a life worthy of emulation, to be an example, have high character in that way to dispel, to kind of, like Paul is partly saying, like, take away the context for despising in one sense, right? Like, um, but that's sort of another thing. The pastors are to work for peace, but it's also clear that the role of pastor comes with rejection and resistance and attack and even hatred, even from other Christians. It's just part of it. Um, and, and of course, we see this in all forms of leadership, not just pastoring. Uh, I know many of, of you in the room lead in different ways, like maybe in your job. Um, maybe many of you have experienced this, whether leading large companies or coaching Little League or just being a mom or a dad. You've been, just because you're in the role, you've been despised. Um, Mike Deegan, uh, who probably none of you know, um, says in his article on what, I've sent this to you, some of you in the room before, if you want it, let me know. Uh, his article on what to expect when you become a point leader in an organization, uh, in his case, a baseball team. So this is a guy who moved from assistant to leader. He went from assistant on the baseball team to like the manager or, um, is that what you call it? The manager, right? Yeah. Um, and he said, this is just some lessons I learned making that shift. And he said, he has like 10 things. Number one thing, I don't have this on screen, so I'll just say this. Number one thing, get ready to be unpopular. <laughs> so get a sign-up sheet here going after, after church. For all of you who want to be a leader, let's just, let's go, you know. And I don't mean to like dog it. It's great. But no, get ready to be unpopular. At, this is what he says. As an assistant, everyone likes you. As a leader, that won't be the case. As an assistant, everyone likes you. As a leader, that won't be the case. The happiness of our players, parents, and coaches is really important to me, probably too important at times. Let me be the first to tell you, not everyone will be happy, and they will more than likely blame you. Then he says, can you handle that? So he's basically saying, like, if you want to be a leader, that's a good thing. He's not saying, you know, run for the, run for the hills here. He, he's, he's saying, just... You've got to be aware of what's going to happen. I, man, I can't tell you how overnight, it was just like, when I was like a, an assistant back at Hope, I never had conflict, and then like basically overnight starting a church, it's like, oh my gosh, what did I do? What did I do? But anyway, um, it's, it's just part of it. All right, so now I'm, I'm digressing a little bit here. I don't mean to be complaining in front of you about the downside of leadership. It's, ama it's an amazing thing. A lot of you should pursue it, um, and, you, and maybe you're feeling that, and you'll, many others of you will be invited to it someday if you're not already, but, and we have a very healthy church here too, I should say that, a church culture by God's grace, a very encouraging and affirming one of leaders, I want to say that to you all, uh, uh, many of, most of you call this place home, um, man, we love you guys, and you've been very affirming and encouraging, in, uh, uh, coming out of a year or two where a lot of churches have split or closed or experienced massive inner turmoil, um, man, praise God for our, our culture here, I know I speak for other leaders here when I say that, all right. But here's why I'm doing this. Pastors are rejected sometimes, and sometimes they should be, or un, you know, unfollowed or rejected or disagreed with. You know, there's obviously times for that. But pastors are rejected sometimes. But here's the thing. Jesus was the truly rejected pastor of our souls through which he saved us from our sins. 
All right? Now, if, if you read this passage through that framework, uh, it's amazing what, uh, what, you, what you see. If you look at some language that Paul's using here, I'd say positively for Timothy. Elsewhere in the Bible, it's used negatively for Jesus. You guys follow that? The positive side of what Paul is saying to Timothy here, Jesus has taken on the negative dimension, the negative side of that, so that the positive dimension is possible. I'll come back to that. But here's, here's what I mean. Jesus has the truly rejected one, all right? So the, the first piece would be to say, Paul says, let no one despise you for in work for peace and lead in a way that's followable. But Jesus was despised, right? And he had no reason to be. Uh, Isaiah 53.3, we read this morning, says Jesus, he was despised and rejected. That's like his, you know, M.O., right? That's what led him to the cross. The second thing would be to say, Paul says the prophecy about Timothy was that he would, be, that he would lead the church in Ephesus. He was confirmed in that role through the word of the elders, but the prophecies about Jesus were that he would be rejected, not confirmed. That he would go down, not go up. And then last, Paul says that Timothy was laid hands upon as a sign of God's favor and calling, but in Luke 20 it says the religious leaders sought to lay hands on Jesus, and that was not because they wanted to hug him or anoint him king, but they wanted to crucify him and in that way lay hands on him. See how it's neg- the negative side of it? And I would say that, that this is the ultimate, ex- quote, example of conduct, to use Paul's words to Timothy, his, Jesus' pastoral conduct of submission to the will of God that he would suffer in the place of others, suffer in the place of sinners, suffer in the place of the unappreciative, suffer in the place of the enemy, suffer in the place of those who are rejecting him. That he would be immersed in our sins into death and hell that we might be spared. That, that is the ultimate, I would say, pastoral submission of, of uh, or conduct, submission to the will of God, but the ultimate example of conduct pastorally was, as Hebrews 10 says, uh, many places, but that Jesus was obedient to the will of the Father. And the, obe- the, the ultimate call of God the Father was that he would go and die. Uh, Jesus' obedience is less understood as a moral obedience, although obviously he did do that, but the ultimate, according to Hebrews 10, the ultimate like, command of the Father to the Son was that he would go and lay down his body. It's a quote from Psalm 40, so it's actually um, Old and New Testament. The ultimate will was his obedience unto the cross to die for you and me. So I think that one thing we see here for all of us, pastor or not in the room, is the principle of substitution. And we see it in the person of Timothy on the one hand and Jesus on the other. Though Timothy did not deserve acceptance, Paul writes with the expectation that he would not be despised in his church. And so let me bring this full circle then, all right? Pastors many times are not rejected by their churches. Christians many times get along with each other, even when they're very different or when they disagree. Christians many times in churches willingly, gladly submit to their leadership and pray for them. And we ask, if we ask the question why that is, like we take this for granted, right? If we have like a proper perspective on how perverse and evil like we are, the world is. We might like th- look at that and think, why, why is that even, why are there healthy churches at all? You know, we might say, like we might stumble on the other side and say, why are there unhealthy churches and get like, bothered by that? Not to say that shouldn't bother you, but 
Maybe it should be flipped. Why is there any health at all in a church? Like, if someone asked you that, what would you say? What's the answer? Why is there health? Why is there goodness? Why is there peace? Why is there not despising of leadership sometimes in a church? The ultimate reason for this is not simply because the Bible says it should be, nor is it simply because of the pastor's godly character, if that's present. The deeper reason behind it all is because Jesus was despised and rejected first. He substituted himself for you and me. He had the inverse of these same 1 Timothy 4 ideas happen to him so we'd be spared. It's because Jesus had the hands of evil men laid upon him for his harm, the nail-pierced hands of Jesus reach out to us and are laid on us in love. Not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal and for our confirmation. As, as I said before, <clears throat> the gospel the gospel is that the gift of God is given to you through the hands of another. That is, through the hands of Jesus Christ. Remember that? And it's a gift by grace, not by work. So no one can boast, none should fear. Uh, again, like, like pastors should not self-appoint for their roles, but instead submit themselves to like an assessment process or the, the laying out of the hands of another or God's voice, the calling through another person. But instead submit themselves to that. Um, so do we not self-appoint for salvation. That, that's what I really want you guys to hear uh, you, you see this really well in Acts 13. Let me just read this uh, to close. <clears throat> when the Gentiles heard this, so the gospel goes forth to non-Jewish people. Um, a lot of times, by the way, when you see people rejoice in the book of Acts, it's not just because of the gospel, it's specifically because there's not law tied to the gospel. Remember that like in Acts 15? It's when they got that letter from the Jewish council that said, there is no law over you. I mean, basically, he said, get along with Jews, so, you know, if their food laws are a stumbling block, maybe just try to observe them for a bit just to not make, cause a ruffle, and then abstain from sexual sin, but that's really about it. And they rejoiced because there were other Jewish Christians who were saying, no, you need to do more. And they were burdened by it. Acts 15 is, man, it is one of the most important passages in the whole New Testament. What the first Jewish Christians said to non-Jewish Christians about what laws they were under as Christians. And, and their letter went out to the, the Gentile churches and they rejoiced because they basically said, uh, you know what? Jesus is enough. He really is. Okay, it's a huge digression. But that's kind of what's happening here too. When Gentiles heard this, they heard the gospel, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord and all who had been appointed, there's that word, all the people who had been chosen for eternal life or appointed for eternal life, those are the ones who believed. And I know that's a big can of worms theologically for some of you, and that's great. I have it too. But I'm not, I don't have time for going to that, like in terms of how that works. But it, but it works, you know? And, and the point is joy. The point is you don't appoint yourself. Maybe you choose less God and he chooses more you. Maybe it's less about you going up and him coming down. The, the, the relationship between how a pastor is appointed and how you are saved is inextricable. And it, again, we, 
we can do better as a church than dichotomizing these things. And we don't do that here. I'm just saying there's the gospel. I know we say this a lot. It truly is the son of the universe. Every planet orbits around it. Every single planet of theology and church practice orbits around the son of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the principle of grace, not works. When the Gentiles heard this, they were happy because they knew they were saved by grace. They knew that they were appointed. They knew, they were, they knew God moved towards them. There was no pilgrimage to take, no travel to ensue, no pain to cause themselves, no asceticism to uptake. Jesus was cut. Jesus bled. The Son of God died. And he said, it's finished. Not started. It's finished. And so, so my encouragement to you guys and to me, I think the scriptures have this for us today, God has this for us, is rest easy, weary sinner. You are loved and chosen and fought for. Jesus has come down. You can stop trying to go up. Salvation is appointed. That is to say, it is given. It is most definitely and in every way not earned. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage today. Uh, thank you for uh, a part of the argument that we're in in, in chapter 4. Um, all of the, these things that um, Paul doesn't just want for Timothy to do, but he wants him to believe. And he wants the, the Christians in Ephesus to believe. It, it's the same for us. Um, you, this is a letter from you to, you to us, ultimately, God. So thank you for reminding us that we um, have been laid hands upon by the loving hands of God for our confirmation as saved people, uh, not for our damnation, uh, not for our harm. Uh, Jesus, you became despised so we would not be despised by God. You became unfavored, Jesus, so we would be favored. We would become propitious, to use that word in, elsewhere in the Bible, favored by you because Jesus became unfavored. You take on all the dark corners of the Bible for us. You take on the inverse of the positives for people like us so we can experience peace in our community. We can experience love. We can experience reconciliation um, amidst people who are very different. Even in this very room, we're very different. The way we can have peace is that first we have peace with God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. At the highest of costs, God, you fought our battle. You gave up your one and only son for us that we might be saved. Jesus, thank you for being laid upon by the hands of evil men like us. And through that, um, working for our salvation and fighting a great battle and saving us. Help us to believe, to nourish ourselves on the body and blood of you and on the bread of that idea. Help us take communion now and to sing and, and to be thankful as we go forth uh, into our week. In Christ's name we pray, amen.